calling all financial advisors. Get ready to boost your practice, portfolios, and network at the Exchange Conference, happening in sunny Miami from February 11th to the 14th, 2024. At Exchange, you'll gain valuable insights to grow your practice and sharpen your investment acumen with the top investment experts. But that's not all. By attending, you can earn over 10 CE credits and join a network that goes beyond business. Join a community that's dedicated to your success. Learn more and register now at exchangeetf.com. ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. Some guests appearing on this program may also be financial sponsors of ETF Prime. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right. Joining me will be Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise, uh, who, of course, was behind one of the 10 spot Bitcoin ETFs that launched last week. They debuted this past Thursday. And I would say it was a very impressive and successful debut overall, both in terms of trading volume and uh, assets, and certainly the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, ticker BITB, that was an important part of that. But these products are finally on the market. I know at least half of you listening are ready for me to move on from this, but I'm asking you to bear with me as I start the process of slowly weaning myself off this spot Bitcoin ETF addiction. And in all seriousness, even if you are truly tired of the spot Bitcoin ETF topic, I think everyone will enjoy this conversation with Matt because we are going to get into the mechanics of how these ETFs actually work. We're going to talk ETF structure here. And so you can learn about things like cash creations and redemptions and custody and understanding the fair value of an ETF. I actually put together a list of common questions I've received just over the past several days on spot Bitcoin ETFs. And I'm going to have Matt essentially conduct a spot Bitcoin ETF 101 course on that. We'll get an inside look at you know everything going on there. And I can't think of anyone more qualified to do this uh, than Matt. And so we'll spend the bulk of our time there. We'll also uh, hear what Matt and his team experienced over the past few weeks uh, leading up to the approval. And then we will talk spot Bitcoin ETF competition and the investment case for Bitcoin as well. Also joining me this week will be Matt Kaufman, head of ETFs at Calamos, who's a $36 billion asset manager that has been working to expand their ETF presence. And actually, just today, they launched the Calamos Closed-In Fund Income and Arbitrage ETF, ticker symbol CCEF. And so Matt is going to spotlight that ETF and uh, discuss how the firm is seeking a position within the uh, ETF space. Now, to start this week, I have on the line with me Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetify, and I honestly feel a little bad for Todd at this point because it seems like every time he joins me, he has to talk spot Bitcoin ETFs. But uh, I think everyone knows Todd is a gamer, and I think he knows the finish line is uh, near on this topic, so he is indulging me. Let's chat with uh, Todd now. 
Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. $800 billion, I think we have to say that again, $800 billion and counting for an industry that is, is still growing in size is impressive. Todd, once again, you drew the uh, short straw on the Vetify team. Uh, of course, it would be you who gets the podcast the week after spot Bitcoin ETF approval. I'm very uh, sorry, man. No, I'm happy to be here. And I, this feels like the Monday after the Super Bowl for most people. I, I think the, the fi- finally having spot Bitcoin ETFs and you know, close to a dozen of them trading is probably the Super Bowl for you since you're a Kent City Chiefs fan, and you've already won that. And this year is just gravy for you. So uh, happy day after or two days after trading of spot Bitcoin ETFs to you, my friend. Well, you know what? Speaking of uh, a Super Bowl Monday, I, it was a big week for you last week overall. I saw your Michigan Wolverines won the uh, the college football title on Monday. And then uh, on, uh, on X or Twitter, I saw that you capped off the week by attending Bitwise's bell ringing ceremony at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, how was that? Well, do we have thirty minutes for me to talk about the Michigan Wolverines? <laughs> no. <laughs> then I will. Then I will move past that. I, I know you have Matt Hogan coming up, and I, I guess I have to say the last name since you've got uh, two Matts uh, on the show. Uh, but boy, wow! Is this a sign that Bitcoin has entered into the ETF marketplace and become slightly more mainstream? Closing the market uh, was Matt Hogan. And the, and the broader team at Bitwise at the New York Stock Exchange, and I was honored to be uh, one of the guests that they had invited there. Uh, so Bitcoin trading uh, through an ETF on, on the NICE as well as the other exchanges, just a tremendous sign for the, what has been achieved uh, 10 years plus in the making. I was uh, so jealous. I would have loved to have been at that uh, bell ringing. What a, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head just to see – um, Bitcoin and crypto up there on the podium at, at NYSE, we have come a long way. And as an aside, I'm going to discuss this with uh, with Matt. And you may have seen I, I put out a, a tweet to this effect last week. Bitwise did such a great job last week all the way around on the launch of that ETF, but particularly just on marketing. I feel like they were everywhere. Obviously, the bell ringing was, was part of that, but I, I don't feel like I can move anywhere online and not see that BITB ticker. Have you seen that? Uh, I have seen it. If you go to ETFtrends.com, they've got a, a takeover of our homepage <laughs> right now. Uh, so you can't miss it. Uh, but they're not alone. Obviously, there was great education going on from all the different providers. And I, I saw our friend Jay Jacobs was trending, I think, uh, on, on X <laughs> looking uh, over the weekend because of the educational video. That he put out, and of course the folks at Grayscale. I was actually flying uh, back from Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, out there to help celebrate with the team uh, as a guest again. Um, and at the airport, you could see GBTC ads as the largest ETF. So there was a lot of education going on from a number of different providers uh, in various mediums, not just uh, on a, a website that has ETF in its name. I was dying on that Jay Jacobs ad. Uh, for people who don't know, Jay Jacobs is with, uh, with with iShares. I think he heads up. I don't have his formal title. He'll, he'll actually be on the podcast here in a few weeks, but I believe he's like head of thematic ETFs. But it was a very um, prototypical iShares ad. I It was good, but there was nothing noteworthy about it. And if you know Jay... Um, great guy, but he's pretty understated. He's not somebody that's out there, look at me, and, and trying to draw attention to himself. And I just thought, I, I logged into uh, to Twitter on Sunday, and I saw that ad everywhere in my feed, and I just got the biggest kick out of it, only because, you know, I've had an opportunity to, to, to meet Jay in person several times and, and visit with him in the past, and it just seemed like a, an odd dichotomy. But, um, Todd, look, we're not going to... Uh, regurgitate everything that happened last week. I, I would say the media did a pretty darn good job of uh, documenting everything leading up to and surrounding the launch of spot Bitcoin ETFs. I think anybody who follows me out on uh, Twitter, I, I would like to think I did a pretty good job of documenting uh, everything. The story was everywhere. E- even my parents saw it on uh, AOL.com or wherever they still get their news. They were asking me about it. But um, I do think it's only fair 
that you have an opportunity to comment on this since I've been making you discuss this topic for years now. And it, it did finally happen. So very simply, the floor is now yours. What, what was your reaction to the debut of spot Bitcoin ETFs last Thursday and uh, what we have seen just over the past couple of trading days since? Yeah, I mean, this was a, this was a tremendous milestone for the ETF industry. Uh, and I think I've been in the ETF industry maybe as long or, or just as long as you have. This show just is celebrating its 13th anniversary. That's around how long I've been following ETFs professionally as opposed to investing in it. And I can't recall anything like this. We had a fee war taking place before the product ended up even launching. Day after day, fees would get reduced. We saw strong trading volume uh, from new entrants. New ETFs aren't supposed to be trading that strong out of the gate. The way that we saw, we saw GBTC now an ETF, and it was in the top 10 uh, trading uh, of all ETFs that have many that have much longer records as an ETF or much more assets uh, overall. I think everybody that was connected to this, both from the issuers, uh, the exchanges, everybody behind the scenes, and then people like yourself and Eric Bautundas and James Saford, who were living and breathing this hour after hour, should have, should be really excited with how things went. Uh, and we had Vetify, I think we're going to come to it in a moment, but we were excited to be able to host many of the asset managers on an event that we had. But before you let me get there, I think the one thing, I, I digress if we didn't quickly mention that Vanguard made news by not allowing these products to be trading out of the gate. And just for folks that want to, some perspective, five years ago, almost to the day, Vanguard disallowed the trading of leveraged ETFs. So Vanguard has a practice of not allowing things to be traded by their clients if they deem it to be risky. Whether Bitcoin ETFs are as risky as leveraged ETFs, we'll see. But they certainly are risky uh, and perhaps need to be treated with eyes wide open uh, from from all the brokerage firms. So I guess let me pause there because there's so much more to talk about. Yeah, real quick on the Vanguard topic. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I've been pretty sharp in my criticism there. And obviously, Vanguard's a private company. They can do whatever they want. And if they don't want uh, investors to access certain products, that, that, that's they have that right to do so. My criticism is more just that, I don't think they're seeing the bigger picture here. And and look, I'm sure Vanguard's marketing group and their strategic planning team, they know a lot more about their business than I do. But I feel like I have a pretty good uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on. And I just feel like they are really turning off younger investors in particular. Uh, I keep saying it's 2024. The, the industry is moving towards greater accessibility and more investor empowerment, not away from that. And I just think there are some contradictions. I, I don't know this for sure, but I believe they offer uh, physical gold ETFs on their platform. And I think you'd have some people saying, well, what's what's the difference here? And, we, and I'm not going to get through the laundry list of other ETFs they offer and the type of exposure there and where Bitcoin fits into it. My, my criticism is more just that I don't believe in 2024 that gating access to products – um, is the right way to go about doing things. I think it's condescending towards investors. It turns them off. And, uh, you know, Todd, I mean, I, I operate in a, a registered investment advisory firm. I think one of the benefits of that model is we can offer to our clients whatever we think is best. We're not gaining access to, to products. Uh, and I, I just, I don't get that business decision longer term. They're, they're painting themselves as sort of boomer-esque. And maybe that fits their clientele right now. That's where the assets are. I just think it's a poor long-term decision. Well, I, I'm not sure it's a long-term move as it is a short-term move. These products just started trading. And if you have an account at a wirehouse, uh, you presumably weren't able to buy it either because ETFs need to have a certain amount of history and a certain amount of assets under management. And in some cases, they hit the AUM threshold out of the gate, but they certainly don't have six months of, of history. So this Vanguard is not alone in that you can't buy it on their platform, but they've certainly made news and headlines. Yeah, but I would love you when word came out. I would love you the same criticism at some of the wirehouses. I mean, that's been an issue in the ETF space for a long time. I know you you've had the same conversations. I've talked to countless, especially smaller ETF issuers who have wonderful products. 
that never see the light of day on those uh, platforms because the access is gated or it's pay to play. And I just I, I disagree with that um, that model. But um, look, you mentioned the uh, crypto symposium that Vetify held last week. I, I do want to talk about that because, as always, with these symposiums, you came away with, with some uh, very interesting polling data and, and some other takeaways. And we are going to share those with the ETF Prime audience today. One of these is specifically spot Bitcoin ETF related, and we can maybe start with that one. But the other ones are, are more broad uh, polling questions around crypto, I would say. Um but by the way, did you time that symposium, uh, assuming spot Bitcoin ETFs would be approved, or did you just get lucky there? No, we did. We had thoughts of having one in uh, the beginning of the year in January. We wanted to make sure it was after the ARC, uh, the deadline that the SEC had to come out with ARC, uh, a ruling on that. We had strong confidence, as did others within the industry, that we would get a decision and a green light. Uh, and so we were planning it, and then we moved the date back slightly when, so that we could give asset managers a chance to actually talk, assuming it was approved. And so real quick, we had uh, about 1,100 people register for this event. You can go to ETFtrends.com under the events page and see a replay of the sessions. We had just under 600 live attendees, and I know we're going to get many folks that are going to replay it. And we had, I believe, seven or eight of the different asset managers that had launched or uplisted, in the case of Grayscale, uh, participate in it, BlackRock and Bitwise uh, and WisdomTree and VanEck and Franklin. Uh, and I'm, I'm probably missing one off the top of my head as I'm, I'm doing this without notes. Uh, but tremendous expertise, tremendous education. Uh, and as you're right, we, we talked to a lot of advisors and, and I think got some great insights that can both help listeners, uh, as well as just people in general, understanding of what the appetite is for these products. Yeah. And, and so let's go through um, some of those insights. Again, this polling data from the symposium, uh, you had a number of questions that uh, you sent over. I flagged three of these for, for us to walk through, ones that I thought were most interesting. And let's start with that one that I, I noted was spot Bitcoin ETF related, because I feel like this is right up your alley uh, as it gets into ETF due diligence, which has to be your favorite topic uh, out there. So the question was this. When choosing among potential spot ETFs, which matters most to you? And there were five options here. Assets under management, breadth of offerings, expense ratio, expertise of the firm, and liquidity. Interestingly, the uh, the top choice with 47% was expertise of the firm. Number two, I would say also a bit surprising, liquidity with about 20%. And then three was expense ratio at around 17%. What, what did you take away from that? Because as you can maybe tell by my reaction here, I was a bit surprised. I, I thought expense ratio would top the list, but apparently the group of people attending the, the, the Vetify Symposium said expertise of the firm. So what, what did you take from that? So I was thrilled with it because, as you know, I don't think expense ratio should be the, the driving factor when choosing an ETF. And while the spot Bitcoin ETFs all own the same thing, which is spot Bitcoin, and so expense ratio should be uh, more meaningful than unless you're buying uh, – most other asset classes, I guess S&P 500-based uh, ETFs or, or gold ETFs, we've seen a few war take place ahead of the launches. So, again, I'm, my notes aren't in front of me, but oh, we have five or six different firms that made the product free out of the gate or is now free initially. And then the difference is when that fee waiver ends is negligible between what Franklin Templeton is offering and Bitwise uh, and ARC and BlackRock, they're all roughly around the same fee, with the exception of GBTC, which we can come back to in a second. So I think expense ratio should not be the, the reason behind it. But what was exciting to me about the expertise of the firm is they all have different levels of expertise. Now, expertise of the firm in, in terms of crypto, you'd probably put Bitwise and Grayscale among the firms, maybe Invesco with Galaxy as their partner or an ARC with 21 shares, those firms probably group together. But expertise of the firm could be just expertise in trading. Uh, 
uh, of ETFs, and obviously BlackRock and Fidelity and Wisdom Tree have, have different levels of expertise. So I guess you could interpret this however you want to. And then liquidity was actually, I was surprised by that. That certainly would be a positive sign for, for Grayscale, for GBTC, uh, because that ETF had built-in liquidity. It was already trading, notably, uh, and as mentioned, it was the ninth, I think it was the ninth uh, most frequently traded ETF the first day on Thursday. Uh, but just a sign that advisors, investors are not just buying an ETF based on its expense ratio. That's music to my ears. Regarding GBTC in particular, um, what did you think about the fee they rolled out with, that that 1.5% expense ratio, especially in light of the fact that the lowest cost ETFs in this space, you know, Franklin's at 19 basis points, Bitwise is at 20 basis points, there are others in that general neighborhood. Even if this poll question says expense ratio is third, I mean, that's that's a big gap there in price. Did you have any thoughts on that in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been deemed as a, a race uh, to, to gather assets, and but I would view it as much of a marathon. And so Grayscale is starting on mile, what, five or six uh, in this race, as opposed to at the starting line, because of their established book of business. And so why cut why cut the fee to match everybody else when you don't need to? Uh, we, we've seen that within the overall... ETF industry, you, you you bring pricing down perhaps a little bit uh, as a nod to it's more efficient to run an ETF, I think. Uh, but also, they don't need to do so. Could they ultimately bring the pricing down closer? Possibly. Uh, could they launch a uh, clone product the way that we've seen a, a, a mini-me version of gold shares from State Street uh, or QQQM's version of the NASDAQ? Uh, Invesco product, it's QQQ. Yeah, that certainly could happen, but uh, Grayscale's got a, a built-in advantage. I think they're going to hold on to it for a little while. Yeah, and I'm sure they game this out. Uh, they they did all the math and the spreadsheets, and even if they have some outflows, which we have seen over the first couple of days, it's a base, uh, basic math equation here, right? If, if you have X number of outflows, but you're at 1.5%, that equals an implied ad, uh, annual revenue of, of a certain amount versus, say, if they drop to 1% or 50 basis points or so on and so forth. So I'm sure they game this out, and they feel pretty confident that a uh, you know decent portion of those assets will stick. But I do think that will be interesting to watch moving forward. Um, all right, Todd, another polling question that I, I liked from uh, this symposium was this one. The question was, how much exposure do you expect to have in crypto in your average client portfolio in three months? So, so the time frame here is three months. Um, the, the number one answer with 58% was 1% to 5%. So 1% to 5% exposure to crypto within the next three months. Number two with uh, 34% was 0% allocation. And then uh, 5 to 10% had... 5% of the vote, and more than 10% allocation had 3% of the vote. So just to clean that up, because I, I was <laughs> mixing a lot of data there, the number one answer with 58% of the respondents was that they would allocate 1% to 5% to crypto in their client portfolios within three months. Now, look, three months is admittedly a short time frame, but I did find that interesting um, you know, that's a, I think, a, a pretty good endorsement of advisor interest uh, in, in adding crypto to client portfolios. What, what did you think about the results from that one? Yeah, so let me just add one thing in before, and then I'll give you my comment. We asked a question just prior to that of how much of your average client portfolio is invested in crypto. So mm -hmm. essentially the same question, but using it as of, Thursday when we asked the question and then asking people to look forward three months. And we had the inverse. So 58% uh, had no exposure to it and 34% had between 1% and 5%. And then if you look forward three months, we saw the flip of that. 58% plan on, so roughly, if we could do the math on this quickly, roughly 25% of the audience was planning on adding between a, a small slice of crypto into their overall portfolio in the first three months that didn't have it beforehand. 
Now, there could be lots of reasons behind that, uh, but to me, number one, two, and three is they now have the accessibility and low-cost opportunity to get uh, one of uh, half a dozen, if not more, bot Bitcoin ETFs. So I think there, what we, we had expected that there was some pent-up demand from advisors to add exposure to Bitcoin using an ETF. We think that is the case based on the survey data. We will certainly see it in the coming days, weeks, and months if money continues to move in to these respective products. So that's exactly what I would want it to see. I, you know, let me just put it back to you. What do you think is, I don't want, not want you to give investment advice, but is a low single digit percentage exposure to Bitcoin in a, a, an appropriate way of thinking about this new asset class. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to offer investment advice here. Um, two things. One, just to go back to what you were saying, I think no question the results of this poll shows the impact of spot Bitcoin ETFs now being on the market. It's that accessibility. So so let's put that aside. In terms of an allocation, shame, shameless plug, uh, I was on Bloomberg's ETF IQ last week. And uh, Eric Balchunas asked me pretty much the exact same question. And my response was, uh, yeah, I think a 1% to 5% allocation for the right type of investor, which I think as a whole is going to veer uh, more aggressive, a more aggressive risk profile, and probably a bit younger. I think that's where we're going to see uh, see this land. And the what, what I told Eric was, like, I think about our um, – our model portfolios that we construct, and we've had a long-term core allocation of gold that, that's around you know five percent or so. Again, not investment advice. Please, everybody, do your own homework. Uh, I, I think that it's reasonable that you could have Bitcoin potentially replace that holding for some investors. Because Todd, the question that we've always received, especially from again younger investors, is why do we own physical gold and not? digital gold, because that's how they view it. And there's a whole podcast we could have to unpack that and whether or not uh, Bitcoin, uh, you know, has the same risk return profile of gold. I'm not getting into that now. I'm just talking about perception here. But I think when you when you look at allocation, this isn't about loading up the truck and, you know, having whatever, 50 percent of your portfolio to Bitcoin. This is a small satellite allocation with the idea being if you look historically, even though it's a short track record, since Bitcoin has been available, just Bitcoin period, if you had a small allocation in a portfolio, it would have been additive from a risk return um, standpoint. Again, short short track record overall. We're talking about 15 years versus 5,000 plus years of gold. But I think that's the the, uh, the right way to think about it. Agreed. Yeah, ag- agreed. Okay. Um, one other polling question I did want to flag here. Uh, which, actually, I think this offers a little balance to our conversation as well. This isn't just all, you know, price go up to the moon with Bitcoin, obviously. So the question was, which of the following has you uh, concerned about investing in crypto? The top response was volatility with 36%. The uh, second most popular response was difficulty to value. Uh, that was 22%. And then the, uh, the the other three answers, which all you know had a decent chunk of the vote, failures of crypto companies, regulatory concerns, and then uncertainty talking to clients about this. And I, I really like this question because I think it shows Bitcoin and crypto are still novel, right? They're they're still emerging, and adding Bitcoin to a portfolio like we were just talking about, this is not the same as putting a uh, I, I don't know a treasury bond. In a portfolio, and we need to make sure that doesn't get lost in the hype around uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs. So I, I know you obviously agree with that assessment. I do. So I, what I was again pleased to see was the the more popular answers. In fact, more than half uh, of the audience, their concerns were things that they might be concerned about. Other things like biotechnology companies that are high risk, high reward. It's you know it's hard to value. Uh, companies that are unprofitable uh, as well and that are risky. And so for those people, okay, this might not be the right time to invest. Maybe there is a better time to invest if the price comes back in and they're not just going to buy just because the products are out there. But I had expected that, again, 
you have to take the sample size into we invited you know, we invited everybody, but not everybody comes to the symposium to learn about crypto investing. And those that do obviously have self-selected, but the failure of crypto companies is still fresh in many people's minds. The regulatory concerns have not dissipated completely, even though we now have the SEC offering, uh, allowing these products to come to market. Uh, so I actually, what I thought would have been more popular was uncertainty talking to clients about cryptocurrency. And that was, a, that was a, that was distant, uh, and much further back in, in terms of the answers, because I think that's the, ch- that's the challenge that needs to be overcome. Most advisors have not had to have this conversation beforehand, but now you can't miss these ads. Uh, they're, they're everywhere. So people are going to start to want to talk to their advisor about it. Advisors need to have answers. Maybe more of them had answers than I had expected. That last point, Todd, is exactly what I wanted to hone in on, because uh, Bitwise and Vetify actually recently released the results of a survey uh, of advisors around crypto. And I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say 88% of advisors, it was something like that, um, have received a question from clients about crypto. And to, to me, um, look, I, I know I've said this before, but I just believe very strongly in it. I don't care if you like Bitcoin or crypto. If, if you think it's vaporware, great. If you think it's the next best thing in the world, great. You still have to be able to have an intelligent conversation with clients around this topic, period. It's no different than any other asset class that uh, an advisor may deal with. Even if you're not allocating to that asset class in your portfolio, you better be able to talk about it. So I, I just wanted to uh, to emphasize that point. I know that was, like you said, the, the smallest um, number of respondents said they had uncertainty talking to clients about it. I just think that's so important. And, and real quick, Todd, on that note, before I let you go, we, we only have about a minute left, but on the topic of education, we know, we are now, what, uh, less than a month away from exchange, which is being held February 11th through the 14th in Miami. Of course, I'll be there. Listeners, I want to mention, you can register at exchangeetf.com. And for people who are actually paying attention to what we're talking about right now, Todd, there is a special ETF Prime discount code. So you can get an advisor pass for $99, $99 by entering the discount code ETF Prime 24, ETF Prime 24 when you register. Uh, but Todd, just real quick, give us a quick preview of some of the uh, the sessions and events that have your attention. Yeah, so we are going to have a spot Bitcoin session. Matt Hogan is one of the folks that's going to be a part of it. I know he's coming up in a second. Uh, hey, Matt. Uh, and you're going to be there to help me and others do ETF education. Uh, we've got John Davi of Astoria Advisors and Katie Stockton, uh, who each uh, run ETFs using that own other ETFs. They're going to talk about how they build portfolios. We've got Eric Falchunas and Elizabeth Kashner doing some education as well. And then we've got a few of the heavy hitters in the ETF industry. So Jeff Gunlock is going to be there, and yes, he has an ETF. And uh, we've got Jeff Johnson of Vanguard, who's going to be doing a session on fixed income investing. We're going to talk about thematic strategies uh, like biotechnology in particular with uh, with BlackRock and Invesco. This is going to be a great event. I hope many of our listeners uh, for this come down. If you're an advisor, definitely please stop me and say hello if you're within the industry. Yeah, I'm sure you'll want to do that too, uh, hopefully. So, uh, Nate, excited to see you down there in just four weeks and people – have a chance to get in uh, at a nice discounted savings. There's a few war as well in this space, right? I can't wait for this uh, event. And by the way, I will be doing the podcast down there uh, for listeners. But I just opened up the uh, weather app on my phone. Get this, and, and maybe you already know this if you watch the uh, Chiefs game on Saturday. It's currently minus 2 degrees here. So if I nothing else, I'm looking forward to some better weather. But, uh, Todd, I always enjoy our conversations. I promise you that you're not going to have to talk spot Bitcoin ETFs next time you're on. Actually, you know what? Uh, I, I probably shouldn't don't promise, promise that. Me that. I have a feeling that it's going to come up. We'll have the one-month anniversary of how things are doing. So uh, enjoy talking to two different maps about two different alternative topics. Hey, thank you for joining me. That was Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetify. Entrepreneur shares was one of the first thematic investment strategies, and we were the very first in entrepreneurship, innovation, and disruption. 
We have over 30 years of academic research that we developed at Babson College, the number one school in entrepreneurship. And from this, we developed a proprietary entrepreneur factor, which demonstrates how investors can outperform peer benchmarks over time. Our model works best during declining interest rate environments such as now, and we have two ETFs investors can follow. One is ENTR, which is U.S. large caps, and one ETF is ERSX, which focuses on non-U.S. small caps. Next guest is Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise, who, of course, last week they were one of the 10 entrants into the spot Bitcoin ETF race. They launched the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, ticker symbol BITB, uh, and that really headlines a growing suite of crypto-related ETFs from Bitwise. So they now have six ETFs altogether, nearly $400 million in assets. And Matt is now on the line with me from San Francisco. Matt, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate the cool of the gang leading. That was perfect. <laughs> there was only one song uh, that we could uh, play for this occasion. So, so look, be honest. How tired are you after the past several weeks? Oh, I was so happy that the markets closed for the weekend. It was a wonderful thing. This was an incredible run-up. The last few weeks were really intense. Uh, and now the real work starts, but yeah, I was, I was tired on Friday night for and, sure. And you were at the, uh, the bell ringing on Friday, right? I was just talking to Vetify's Todd Rosenbluth about that. How, how did that go? It was fantastic. I mean, what an honor to ring the bell for Bitcoin at the New York Stock Exchange, you know, the U.S.'s oldest stock exchange, its newest financial asset. It really felt like a unique moment and it was a good capstone to the week to celebrate. In the lead-up to the launch of these products on um, Thursday, I'm curious, was there ever a point over these last several weeks, which obviously, um, you know, straddled a couple of holidays as well, but was there any point leading up to the SEC's 19 before approval order? And then obviously the, the S1s, the registration statements went effective. Was there ever a point where you thought these might not be approved, or were you always pretty confident? <laughs> I mean, every day is the real answer. Really? Uh, you know, we, we, we looked at the, at the indicia of what was going on in terms of the updating of the filings and the progress on the 19B4s and the conversations with the staff, and everything was lining up for approval. So we felt very confident. But you always had in the back of your mind that this was crypto, and this was an SEC that had rejected 33 past applications, and that anything could happen. And, of course, we saw crazy stuff. We saw the SEC's main Twitter uh, handle get hacked. And uh, that shouldn't affect approval. But, of course, it, it made us nervous. So until the very moment that we saw the first trade, I was nervous. Uh, and uh, it was beautiful to get them out there. You mentioned the, the Twitter hack. Obviously, I, I saw there was some concern about that. But the, the other piece here... Um, were, were things like the SIBO filings and then the withdrawals. To, to me, it seemed like there was a lot of wacky stuff going on. But then when I took a step back and, and, and really thought about this, I think what we saw was just how the sausage is made, right? That most, <laughs> most of the time, um, this stuff isn't always smooth. It, it's just that usually there's not this much focus on it, right? Would, would you agree with that? that? That is totally right. And you also had the fact that everyone was trying to jockey for every possible so people had pre-queued up tweets and pre-queued up press releases, and everything was on a hair trigger. But, yeah, this is the, the, the sausage of ETF making. Usually the world doesn't care. Uh, for you know two weeks they really cared, and now we're back to normal. These things are just trading, and they're trading great, uh, helping investors save money. With that, um, the SEC Twitter hack, by the way, did you think that that tweet was real? I mean, you, and you, you know this stuff way better than I. You know, my expectation was that we would see the uh, the 19 before approval order hit the SEC website. I think that's what everybody thought. 
Um, and so because of that, I'm not going to say I didn't fall for the tweet. I retweeted it and, and started celebrating just because this entire adventure had been so um, there'd been so many twists and turns along the way that it, I was like, you know what? This kind of makes sense that this is how the SEC um, an- announces this. But did you think it was real or what was your what was your take on that? <laughs> We we were hopeful but skeptical. Uh, we didn't release our press release about 19B4 approvals because that's, you know, that's not usually how you hear about these things. You don't hear announcements on Twitter. So uh, I'm not going to say we knew it was fake from the jump, but we were at least skeptical enough to hold off on pushing go on our press releases. And uh, I, I credit our, our legal team for being smart about that. So you mentioned um – all of the issuers jockeying for position. Uh, obviously, again, launch day was last Thursday, and I, I'm sure you saw my tweet on this. I, I mean it sincerely. I really believe Bitwise um, won that day, re- really all the way around. I thought you and your team put on a master class on how to launch an ETF. I thought from the pre-launch marketing campaign with the uh, <laughs> the most interesting man in the world, I, I love those, uh, to lining up seed capital, which is important, to day one when BITB traded with extremely tight spreads, unlike some of the competitors, uh, and then really to all of your your post-launch marketing. You know, we talked about the bell ringing, but uh, I mentioned this to, to Todd Rosenbluth earlier. I feel like I've seen the BITB ticker everywhere, everywhere I go, and, and I know I'm being targeted. I, I get how the algos work and all that, but still. Uh, and, and, and then I thought about your appearance here on ETF Prime today. This might be the last podcast uh, that you've appeared on. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm in the minority, but can you just talk about that entire process and maybe how your past experience in the ETF space played into this? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think there are a couple factors there. You know, many of us at Bitwise come from ETF backgrounds. I, of course, I was the CEO of ETF.com, spent 15 years in the industry. Teddy Fasaro worked at Index IQ. So we had a lot of ETF expertise alongside our crypto expertise. And we also knew that we were entering an extremely competitive environment, probably the most competitive ETF launch of all time. We've never seen 10 ETFs launch on the same commodity on the same day. So in, in that environment, when you're competing with giant and great firms like BlackRock or Fidelity or ARK or Grayscale or Wisdom Tree or Van Eck, I mean, these are exceptional firms. We knew we had to be sort of perfect at every step in order to get out the gate and have a role to play in the future. So, yeah, we we tried to do some brand advertising early to elevate the Bitwise brand and make people more familiar with it. Uh, We worked very hard on seed capital. We worked exceptionally hard on the pricing of our ETF. We had the most APs and market makers lined up of anyone uh, we knew that every little detail mattered, and we had to get everyone right if we wanted to be relevant long-term in Bitcoin ETFs. We were really happy to get the most day-one flows and have you know, sufficient volume that we can now have conversations with national account platforms about why they should include an ETF from a true crypto specialist, which is what distinguishes Bitwise in this race. We've been doing this for seven years. So it was really fun. It was fun to finally get to put all that ETF knowledge to work uh, along with my colleagues, and we're really happy with the outcome. Yeah, no, I, it clearly showed the, the ETF expertise there. Um, again, I just as a, an independent observer watching this all go down, it, it was crystal clear the um, you, you know sublime execution here. So congratulations on that. I appreciate that. Okay, so um, Thank you. look, we're, we're going to come back to BITB and the competition here in, in just a moment. But as I was thinking about our conversation today, uh, as I'm sure you, you've probably been in the same boat, I've received a lot of questions over the past week in terms of how spot uh, Bitcoin ETFs actually work. And uh, you might feel like I'm just buttering your bread today, but I, I truly believe you're one of the best educators on really both ETFs and crypto. And so if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to walk through these questions and you can do a little uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs 101. That work? Love it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. So the, um, the first question is around cash creations and redemptions. And I, I'd love to have you just walk through exactly how this works. Like literally explain how the cash flows from one place to another and who is ultimately responsible for buying and selling the Bitcoin. 
Oh, this is a great, this is a great question. I love this. Let, let's start, you know, all of these ETFs are cash creation, but let's start with the counter example, which, you know, many of these tried to start out being in-kind. The way an in-kind creation works, you have your ETF and it's trading, and if it trades at a premium to its net asset value, you know, a tenth of a percent, a percent, the APs, the authorized participants, knows that they're demand, so they want to create more shares. And the way they would do that in an in-kind creation is these APs, which are institutional investors, would go out and buy Bitcoin and then deliver that Bitcoin to the sponsor, in this case, Bitwise, in exchange for an equal value in shares. And that makes it really easy for the ETF issuer or sponsor because they get all the Bitcoin they need and, uh, and they, they're able to get shares out to the market. And a redemption would work the same way if these APs redeemed shares the ETF sponsor would just send them the Bitcoin. The way cash creates work is just a little bit different. Uh, those authorized participants sense demand for new shares, but instead of sending Bitwise uh, Bitcoin, they send us cash. So in our case, creation orders have to be in by 2 p.m., and at 2 p.m., they'll wire us the money, and then Bitwise will go out, and purchase the Bitcoin. So, for instance, on the first day, we had $237 million in net flows. That meant $237 million came into our account. And then we had to go out and buy Bitcoin. And we did that from Bitcoin trading parties uh, like Jane Street and Macquarie and Cumberland. We would put them in competition with another one another to get the best price. And we got phenomenal execution. Um, once we acquire that Bitcoin, it's deposited with the custodian. And, uh, and the cash is released to the trading counterparty. So that's the real difference. You know, people talked about wanting in-kind creations versus cash. The reason is it's simpler. It's slightly more efficient. But honestly, they're very, very similar. There is not a major difference. It's just who is doing that trading of Bitcoin. I, I don't want to get down the um, regulatory path here, but you mentioned putting multiple parties in competition to get the best execution on the price of Bitcoin. Yeah. Why Why is the SEC more comfortable with that versus having multiple APs um, do this directly? Yeah, it's a great question. It has to do with a, a directive that the SEC put out a few years ago that made it impossible for broker-dealers to physically touch Bitcoin. So these authorized participants are broker-dealers, and this rule made it, so that they couldn't handle Bitcoin directly. And, uh, uh, you know, there, there are various reasons for that. Mostly it has to do with just sort of unknown risks of what might happen if they touch this stuff. But because they can't handle it directly, it makes in-kinds impossible, uh, not impossible, just more difficult. Um, and so they defaulted to this other format. They're very comfortable with broker-dealers handling cash and handling securities. That's all they do all day. And in this case, that's all these APs are doing. They're sending in cash and they're getting ETF shares, which are securities, which they can sell into the market. I do think, Nate, we'll get to in-kind creations and redemptions, but I think it may be a while. And the other maybe just last detail, the real reason people were worried about this was the tax consequence. If you bought Bitcoin and then there was a redemption and you sold it and it had gone up in value, people were worried that that would create a capital gain. But because of the way grantor trust works, that's not how capital gains taxes work. You can assign out capital gain basis on cash creation. So in reality, these are great ETFs. They work very similar to in-kind. Um, it's just who is doing the buying and selling. But And again, I just want to be clear, with the parties that you're working with to um, actually execute the buying and selling of Bitcoin, don't they have to touch Bitcoin in this process? They do, but they're Bitcoin trading counterparties, and there are a lot of protections in place. For okay. instance, those trading counterparties have to deposit the Bitcoin with our custodian before we release the cash. And so uh, the trust is never sort of, you know, exposed to that sort of trading risk. But certain people uh, are able to touch Bitcoin, just not traditional broker dealers. And could there be um, meaningful differences in the buying and selling of Bitcoin? Like, like theoretically, could Bitwise do a better job of this than some of the competitors? And, and if so, would we see that reflected in performance? 
Yeah, you will see that reflected in performance. You know, at Bitwise, we've been trading uh, millions and millions of dollars of crypto for seven plus years. We've been running crypto funds since 2017. And we think that gives us a significant advantage. We also have the most uh, or near the most Bitcoin trading counterparties and authorized participants. I think over time, that sort of trading expertise will really add up. There's a reason in specialist areas of the market that people often want to work with specialist experts. And this is an example of that. Bitwise is expert at trading Bitcoin. And uh, I think that's going to show up in performance long term. Okay, so once the Bitcoin is bought, I'd, I'd love to have you explain the custodial process. And I, I would say more importantly, explain how the end investor knows it's actually there. Because, you know, you'll laugh. You and I have fought this battle for a long time on the uh, physical gold ETFs, where, where we have people that think yeah. that they don't actually own the, the, the physical gold bars. But I, I want to be fair to these concerns because I, I have received a number of, of, of questions on this. So how do we know the Bitcoin is actually stored at the custodian? And in your case, that's Coinbase. Yeah, absolutely. And I should say on the trading fact, we'll see how that plays out over time. I, I'm not, not guaranteeing higher returns. Sure. Um, on the custodial, the custodial side, yeah, once we arrange to buy Bitcoin from one of these Bitcoin trading counterparties, it's deposited with Coinbase's institutional custody business. That's a state trust chartered uh, regulated custodian. And then it's audited each year by KPMG. And that's really the, the system that you rely on for custody in every ETF is, you know, usually a big four auditor. We're, we're happy BitB has KPMG doing that audit. Um, and, uh, and that's how you know it's there. It's very analogous to the gold ETF, as you mentioned. And, and you probably remember when they blindfolded Bob Pisani and drove him around London and then <laughs> took him into the gold vault to see the, the gold. Uh, people will be skeptical, but these ETFs are buying and selling Bitcoin. There's um, no incentive for them to do otherwise, and uh, uh, that's what we're doing at Bitwise, and, and that's what I'm sure all of these 10 ETFs are doing. Let's say Coinbase does something wrong here. Um, what, what's the risk to ETF shareholders? Like if Coinbase is somehow hacked, and I, I know some of the stuff may be far-fetched, Matt, but, but bear with me. Like, let's say Coinbase is, is hacked or they send the Bitcoin to the wrong place or whatever. Do ETF shareholders bear that risk or is there some underlying insurance? How, how does that work? Yeah, you, these, these institutional custodians have been managing these uh, pools of Bitcoin for many years without incident. Uh, they do have some level of insurance protection, but just like the gold ETF, if there's a fundamental failure of the custodian, there is risk to the investor. I think if you look at the gold ETF, you'll see that if somebody breaks into the HSBC vault and steals all the gold, then uh, GLD doesn't have gold anymore. Um, and and there's, there's that level of risk. But it's worth noting, you know, these are uh, regulated custodians. They do have insurance in place, and they've been doing it for multiple years in a secure manner. Um, but, of course, there's there's risk in investing. Okay, a couple more questions here um, real quick. Uh, and, and this one I've, I've seen, again, uh, have received from several people. Can BITB or any of these spot Bitcoin ETFs lend out their Bitcoin? Absolutely not. No, okay. these are grantor trusts. Uh, they'll hold their Bitcoin, and uh, and that's all that they can do. They can't lend out their Bitcoin. Okay, and then if someone is buying BITB during the day, how can they know that it's trading in line with the underlying value of Bitcoin? Like, what's an easy way for any investor, a retail investor, whoever, to know whether an ETF is trading? I would say at a premium in particular, which is what I think would be the biggest concern for most people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, you can compare the closing price with the net asset value. Intraday, you can adjust that for the INAV like any other ETF. The beautiful thing about the Bitcoin market is that, you know, it trades 24-7 through 65. So you can compare the price movement of the ETF versus uh, its INAV or versus um, changes in the price of Bitcoin from the last NAV print, depending on what you have access to, and see how it tracks. My expectation is, particularly as we get past the first week, when there tends to be, you know, only one-sided demand for these ETFs on the buy side, you're going to see these trade very close to their net asset value. And, 
and already you're seeing that start to happen. That's what I was going to say. I mean, even if you look at the first couple of days of trading, um, as a whole, these these ETFs traded with very tight spreads and then very close to their NAV. Uh, so I think that's a good yeah. sign. And to your point, that's only going to improve uh, as we move further out from, from the first day of trading. Uh, just a few minutes uh, left here, Matt. Coming back to the spot Bitcoin ETF competition overall, Bitwise is one of the lowest cost providers at 20 basis points. As you alluded to earlier, and I think most people know, obviously Bitwise specializes in crypto. And I know you're not here to sell. That, that's not your nature. But I, I'd love to have you actually sell in this case because there are 10 ETFs in this category. And investors may be trying to decide which one to buy. So just high level, give us the case for BITB. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, low cost, lowest cost out of the gate, uh, six-month B waiver, and then just 20 basis points, which is half the cost of GLD, 20% cheaper than, you know, funds from BlackRock and others. Uh, paired with crypto expertise, which helps with the trading and the custody and the due diligence. But the biggest piece is the relationship you get with Bitwise. You know, we work with financial advisors. Uh, they want someone to call if news breaks in crypto that's a deep expert in the space that's been following it through bull and bear markets that will answer the phone when Bitcoin's up 20% or when it's down 20%. And Bitwise has, you know, 60 plus people that that's all we do. We have uh, distribution people in every part of the country. All they do is think about crypto. So, you know, these big firms will get their share of assets, but we think a lot of people will want an expert uh, that they can have a relationship with. And the fact that they can have that at Bitwise, plus the crypto expertise in trading, plus one of the lowest cost uh, products in the market makes big be a, a pretty great choice. Well, Matt, we're going to have to leave it there. I wanted to talk about the investment case for Bitcoin, but we're going to have to do that later. But I, I, I love this Bitcoin ETF 101. I think this is extremely helpful for investors. So thank you for doing that. Congratulations on the launch. I, I know you and your team have been working on this for such a long time. So I'm very happy for you. Uh, again, congratulations, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. That was Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise. Growth and innovation, two words that best describe the ETF industry. However, rapid growth and innovation creates a critical need for financial advisors and industry practitioners, education. Enter the ETF Institute, the first and only independent organization providing industry professionals and financial advisors with certification, education, and training on ETFs. Learn more about the certified ETF advisor designation by visiting CETF.org. I'm now joined by Matt Kaufman, head of ETFs at Calamos, who just today, they launched the CEF Income and Arbitrage ETF. The ticker symbol is CCEF. This adds to two other ETFs offered by the firm, who I should note manages $36 billion in assets overall. And Matt is now on the line with me from Chicago. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Great to be here. All right, so my sense is that most of our listeners are uh, probably familiar with Calamos, but for those who aren't, let, let's start by uh, just having you offer a quick snapshot of the firm. Sure, I'd love to. Um, for those who aren't familiar, Calamos has been a staple around Chicago in the investment community for around 50 years. Calamos was founded in 1977 by our current chairman, John Calamos Sr., and that was through the launch of one of the first convertible bond funds in the U.S. Today, Calamos is one of the largest liquid alts managers. We're also the largest convertibles manager in the country. Like you said, we have more than $36 billion in AUM. That spans across private credit, multi-asset and options-based strategies, fixed income, and then, of course, our alts and convertibles. Um, just last point, our market neutral income fund has been a big driver for the firm recently. It's one of the longest-standing uh, alts funds in the country and then, like, like you said, in early 2023, we made a strategic move to bring all of this expertise into the ETF marketplace. 
Yeah, and actually talk more about that. Um, so Calamos did already offer two ETFs, the Calamos Antitokinumpo, say, say that three times quickly, Giannis, okay. uh, Global Sustainable Equities ETF, ticker SROI, and the Calamos Convertible Equity Alternative ETF, ticker CBRT. Uh, again, those both launched last year. What what has been the early approach to the ETF space? Yeah, so the way that we're approaching the ETF line is really thinking in terms of categories, disruption, and then innovation. Um, in other words, you know, thinking about what spaces exist today that can be disrupted and then delivered back in a better way. I think that's inherent in the ETF structure, solving problems that investors are facing through the benefit-rich ETF wrapper. And so for us, it's thinking about what categories we have an edge in. And I think the answer to all of those questions is just a resolve to listening to the market well, thinking differently, and then understanding where our edge is. And where all of those things meet, I think, is, is where we can deliver products that the market uh, will really accept. And then I'd say practically we're developing products to position clients for the next phase of economic growth. If you look at the rate environment and how that has shifted nearly overnight, in my view, it's fundamentally altering the investment environment we've grown accustomed to today. You know, like if you think about the ETF marketplace, an entire $7 trillion industry was built during a period of broadly declining and low interest rates. You know, more than 80, 85% of the industry's entire assets, the ETF industry's entire assets have come between the global financial crisis and then the recent post-COVID rate hikes. So as we enter this potentially new rate regime at Calamos, we're focused on developing ETFs that are built for that next phase of growth and building products that really don't just lock you in to the risk management tools of the past. Okay, so on that note, let's talk about this ETF that launched today. Again, the Calamos CEF Income and Arbitrage ETF, ticker symbol CCEF. This is an actively managed uh, fund investing in high-income producing closed-end funds trading at attractive discounts. So, Walk us through exactly what's going on uh, underneath the hood here. Yeah, that's right. Um, this is a strategy that we've been running in a separate account at Calamos for around three years. I believe we'll hit a three-year track record February 1st so in a couple of weeks here. Um, I think the opportunity for this ETF today is really strong. So like you said, CCEF launched this morning on the New York Stock Exchange. It's an actively managed ETF. It's designed to deliver high monthly income capital appreciation through a diversified portfolio of discounted closed-end funds. So if you look at the uh, closed-end fund market today, similar to, as I was mentioning about the rate environment, over the last year and a half, the central bank has raised the Fed funds rate by more than 5%, the swiftest, most severe set of hikes in recent history. So this was a major contributing factor to a widening discount in the closed-end fund marketplace where today you see the average closed-end fund discount you know, well below its historic average. Today it's around 11% uh, discount relative to its five-year average of around 7%. We saw similar dislocation during COVID and also during the global financial crisis. So those two periods you know, were against backdrops of weaker equity and fixed income markets, whereas today the concerns over higher leverage costs and their impact on fund distributions are largely driving those discounts. So where does that put us today you know, with the launch of CCEF? We think it presents a really attractive opportunity for long-term investors. You know, buying closed-end funds purchased at discounts that are wider than their historical average have the potential to reward investors with a high market distribution rate as well as higher returns over time should that discount narrow. So I'd like to think that we made the perfect timing and we knew rates were going to be where they were today. Um, I can't say that was the case, but I do think the timing for this ETF is right. And, Matt, I always like to cover the basics on this podcast. If we just take a step back for people unfamiliar with the closed-end fund space, do you want to, again, just at a high level, explain some of the basics here? Sure. I'm happy to. Yeah, for those who uh, might be new to closed-end funds, um, we'll do a little comparison to ETFs as well. So a closed-end fund is a type of 40-act fund. It issues a fixed number of shares through an IPO-style offering. So once the assets have been raised in a fund, that closed-end fund is then listed on an exchange where the shares can then be bought and sold. 
So there are, are some similarities to the ETF space in that regard that they both trade on an exchange. But what's different in this case is for closed-end funds, no new shares are created once the closed-end fund is listed on the exchange. You know, most mutual funds and ETFs can accept a constant flow of new investment capital, which allows for creation and redemption of shares. Um, closed-end funds don't do that. And so you have closed-end funds, because of their closed nature, they can trade at a premium to their net asset value or at a discount to their net asset value. And that can be driven by a number of factors, largely supply and demand, the distribution rate, and as I mentioned previously, you know, the cost of leverage and where interest rates are at. Okay, so with CCEF, um, and, and we're not here to offer investment advice, but just generally speaking, where do you see an ETF like this fitting into a portfolio? Does this go into the alternatives bucket? I think it can squarely go in the alternatives bucket. Here we're looking at a relative value arbitrage opportunity by purchasing those closed-end funds that are trading at attractive discounts. We have active portfolio managers looking at that um, and performing that analysis. I think it could also fit as a portion of the fixed income sleeve, maybe a high-yield replacement given the high distribution rates. And then there could be potential for a small um, equity allocation as well given the capital appreciation potential and the fact that there are closed-end funds that invest in a wider range of assets. Um, some have covered calls, some are municipal bonds, senior loans. So I think the bottom line is that through this ETF, you're getting a very broad, diversified base of assets through discounted closed-end funds that produce a high, in, high monthly income. So, Matt, just about a, a minute left. Um, three ETFs now from Calamos. What can you tell us about the future uh, ETF roadmap here? Like, like, what does a path look like moving forward for Calamos' sure. ETF business? Yeah, I think personally there's a massive opportunity to build active strategies in the ETF space. I think there's trillions of dollars going to move from the actively managed mutual fund structure into the ETF structure over the next several years. Right now we're only seeing around 30% of new ETF dollars going to active ETFs, but only around 6% of that $7 trillion is attributed to active ETFs. So for us, I think we're at the very early stages of a potential sea change into assets into active ETFs over the next decade. And then as I was mentioning earlier, I think almost the entire ETF industry and ecosystem was built during a declining and low-rate environment. And so as we enter this new rate regime, we really want to develop ETFs that are built for the next phase of growth. So one of those products we're looking at building is providing options-based equity upside but instead of using those options to provide a downside uh, protection level, using a bond floor. You know, as rates have risen, you know, I think there's opportunity to now be able to structure products that give you equity upside with a built-in bond floor now that rates have risen off of zero. So those are some of the things that we're looking at. But, again, I think there's a sea change coming into the world of active ETFs, and it's something that uh, we're well-positioned to capture. Well, again, congratulations on the uh, launch today. I certainly wish you the best of luck with that and in the entire ETF business at Calamos. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much. This was great. That was Matt Kaufman, head of ETFs at Calamos. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. Next week, I'll be joined by Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. He's going to explain the index behind the recently launched Wisdom Tree Bianco Total Return ETF. Uh, We'll also talk current fixed income markets. And then Seth Rosenthal, Chief Investment Officer at Academy Asset Management, will spotlight the Academy Veteran Impact ETF. Until then, have a great week, everyone.